0: You are listening to a podcast from The National. Children in the Middle East face more challenges than almost anywhere else in the world. And in many ways, it's not getting any better for them. One in four children in the region are affected by poverty. Almost 10 million don't receive proper education. And in 2017, more than 1,800 children were killed, up from 1,500 in 2016. However, organizations like UNICEF have maintained that they can help solve the problem through simple solutions. This year, the UN organization spent more than half of its global humanitarian budget in this region alone. The situation is dire, but a lot can still be done. Solutions to some of the region's biggest problems require small steps. Sometimes a vaccine that costs less than a meal can make the difference between a child growing up healthy and one that cannot walk. This is Beyond the Headlines. I am Nasr al-Wesmi, and on the occasion of World Children's Day, I spoke to khird Kaplare, Regional Director of UNICEF in the MENA region, on the state of child development in one of the most difficult regions to be young. If there was one issue uh, related to child development in the Middle East that you could solve overnight,
1: what would it be and why? That's an incredibly challenging question. Uh, um, I think there is no single problem children are facing uh, today in the Middle East that can't be solved overnight, Um, be it access to education and quality learning for every boy and girl, uh, be it being protected from violence, um, uh, be it uh, being protected from the many conflicts that are currently raging through the region, uh, be it access to drinking water, all of that, is perfectly possible. Um, unfortunately, it has a number of requirements, uh, and that, with a lot of goodwill, could be realised overnight. And the first requirement is, of course, um, the commitment, the political commitment, uh, and making children um, the centre of any. Political agenda making children and children's rights the center of any government's priority list. Um, what is missing today is that um, that centrality of children's concerns uh, in what is happening in the, in the Middle East uh, today. When we
0: look at uh, the issues related to child development, um, there's some that are omnipresent, whether it's in Africa or in East Asia, but are there any challenges that are unique to the Middle East that form a specific uh, a, a task that needs to be done or something that's just specific to the Arab world?
1: Another challenging question. And, and I would say there is nothing unique to children's uh, issues uh, in the Middle East and North Africa. Um, What is today particular is uh, the sheer amount of armed conflict that children are confronted with in the region. And of course, everybody uh, will uh, immediately think of the situation in Syria, um, where everybody is still speaking about even being eight years uh, war going on there with a terrible impact upon children. We have um, the situation in Yemen, um, as I uh, tabled it last week, even uh, truly hell on earth. Um, a visit to Yemen uh, made me come to that conclusion uh, that for, for boys and girls in Yemen, that uh, Yemen is probably the worst place today to grow up. Um, Conflict also um, in Libya, conflict still uh, happening in Iraq, Um, conflict in Sudan, conflict in Palestine. Uh, So there is conflict all over uh, the region. And where there is no active conflict, children find themselves in countries that are suffering a big impact of conflict. Think about the situation in Jordan, Lebanon, where... millions of um, Syrians uh, are stranded, living as refugees, and particularly critical for children. So the region today is is particularly affected by armed conflict, and unfortunately armed conflict that that, um, has the biggest possible impact upon children, while children are in no way responsible for any of this uh, brutality going on in the region uh, unicef today is spending half of its humanitarian budget globally in the middle east um, and it may just say something of something about how important armed conflict and the impact upon children is in this region today you can offer
0: our listeners, a unique perspective. You were the regional director in Yemen 2009-2012. And uh, as you mentioned, you were just there uh, recently. Yemen, even prior to the civil war, was the poorest Arab country, and they were suffering from a lot of issues. But you can provide some insight into how war maybe exacerbates or makes those uh,
1: situations worse. Absolutely. Um, Let me maybe just um, give two realities and how the war has worsened them. First, in 2015 we had um, already 1.5 million children not benefiting from any education in Yemen. Today, three years into this bloody war, um, we have over 2 million children out of school. That means we saw 500,000 children more uh, out of school. Um, quality of education has never never been excellent uh, in Yemen. With uh, the war going on um, and the tensions between the officially recognized government and the authorities in Sana'a, 80% of the teachers are not any longer paid their salaries. So just imagine... how much of an impact that has on further um, on making the quality of education even poorer. Um, Another example um, is is acute malnutrition. Um, Yemen is um, the country in the world with the highest per capita levels of malnutrition. Um, Today in Yemen uh, close to two million children are suffering from acute malnutrition. Um, 400,000 children any given day, 400,000 children under the age of five are suffering from the life-threatening form of severe acute malnutrition. Before the war it was already an important problem but the war has made the problem much worse. Today it is fair to say that we have 50% more children suffering from life threatening acute malnutrition compared to the situation in 2015. So two indicators simply that show how much a war can deteriorate quickly a situation of children. A war also that is undoing some of the progress we were able to make in Yemen. Um, Vaccination is there a good example. Um, We had, with tremendous effort uh, from organizations like UNICEF, uh, we had increased the vaccination coverage um, in Yemen by 2015. More or less 70% of all children in Yemen got life-saving vaccines. Um, Today, that percentage has dropped by 15 to 20, in certain areas even by 25%. I can't forget um, uh, from my visit last week um, that that the meeting or I had with with um, Sarah, a small girl I found in the Al Hospital in in Hodeida, close to the front lines, a beautiful, really bright ten um, year old girl, but unfortunately paralyzed uh, uh, from half of her body, paralyzed as a result of diphtheria. Diphtheria that that child should never have had if long we would have been able to vaccinate her. So while the figures tell a lot about the impact of of war, it is only when you sit with these children, when you sit with their families, their mothers and fathers, and hear the suffering um, through what the children, the families are going through, it is only then you truly realize how, how uh, uh, harmful the war has been.
0: When you have a situation uh, like the one that you have in Yemen, how does UNICEF function in war torn areas, either in Yemen or in Syria? When you have governments that are incapable of providing basic functions like child education or healthcare, how is UNICEF expected to make a difference, and what are some of the tools that you have in your arsenal that governments don't or maybe can't provide?
1: Well, there are many things that that make me very proud of serving for UNICEF. Um, one of the reasons why I feel the pride is that children, under all circumstances can at any moment of time continue counting on UNICEF. Um, UNICEF uh, never turns its back to children, even in the worst of situations. Um, So in a country like Yemen or Syria or Iraq or Palestine, uh, UNICEF has teams on the ground uh, working 24-7 delivering assistance. Um, UNICEF is not just sitting in the capitals um, of these respective countries. UNICEF has field presence in Yemen for example um, we have uh, for the moment six active field offices um, that help us continue delivering even across front lines. Um, So even if uh, when when a war is moving, when the front line is moving we have always offices uh, before and behind the front lines. Um, We have incredibly dedicated staff um, um, working uh, to ensure that children uh, get access to drinking water. And of course, we do that by guaranteeing that the the public systems can continue run um, despite the absence for example of of, um, uh, water engineers UNICEF staff guarantees that the systems continue uh, running. Uh, UNICEF um, when teachers for example do not get their uh, salaries being paid UNICEF is stepping in and guarantees that every teacher gets a small incentive uh, encouraging her or him to continue to come to to school and continue to educate their children. UNICEF is is, uh, procuring the life-saving vaccines. And and here, let me uh, comment the the incredible support we are receiving uh, from the authorities here in the United Arab Emirates uh, through the International Humanitarian City through which quite a number of our uh, life-saving and other humanitarian supplies are passing, uh, delivering in a record uh, um, uh, time uh, to those people in need. So UNICEF is procuring these life-saving supplies. Um, So UNICEF is is there uh, day and night on the ground. and, And UNICEF is also there to continue being a voice for the most vulnerable children, because those millions of children suffering uh, do not necessarily always have a voice that makes their suffering hurt, and not just in the countries where they are suffering, but are hurt also in um, uh, capitals across the world that are hurt in the, in the United uh, Nations, uh, um, in the Security Council, and UNICEF is Continue is, is continuing being that voice for the children, so we work on the ground but we continue also our public advocacy and private advocacy, uh, private advocacy with um, those uh, parties who are responsible for conflict, private advocacy with countries who have an influence over worrying parties, but always with a single agenda no political agenda. The sole agenda UNICEF is having is to help those millions of children, help stop their suffering.
0: I remember when I was uh, in a refugee camp in Dar'a, in Jordan, a Syrian refugee camp. I was walking around the, the camp with uh, three boys between the ages of fourteen and sixteen, and I was asking them, "How is your the situation?" And they're like, "It's it's fine. We have education. We." We're getting vaccinated, our health care is fine, we're getting taken care of, and we're full. But we're still not happy. I asked them why, and they said, uh, we're bored. And this really for me was a surprise because I realized that at ages 14, 15, 16, 17, boys and girls, they're looking for excitement. It's such a moment of change and but they were just left in this area. So I was wondering, how, how do you address that problem?
1: Well, an incredibly powerful observation that I only can share. Um, and, and it allows me to, to maybe reflect on the flip side of the situation of children. We have talked already a lot about how much children are suffering but what strikes me um, most when uh, um, meeting with these children is not necessarily their desire to talk about their suffering. Children are eager to share their aspirations, their ambitions, and what prevents them from reaching their aspirations, reaching their, their ambitions. Um, each and every time for me, it is a wake-up call for us to help guaranteeing to do everything possible to, in order, in order to capture that energy, that creativity that children and young people are having um, and make children, young people part of the solution. Um, and, and again, uh, during my visit here over the last two days um, in the UAE, uh, and this morning in particular, um, where I visited with His uh, Royal Highness um, in Dubai um, with the Executive Council, I visited a group of, of um, children, young people who had come up with all kind of creative ideas, solutions to the problems of today, but also the problems of the future, including around environment. So, again, showing... That children have an incredible energy, have an incredible creativity, and so rather than having them bored, we need to galvanize um, uh, that that energy, that uh, that creativity. But that again is something that only will happen when we have, when we see the political willingness to embrace. Um, that energy uh, of children that we em- that embraces the ideas uh, that that children are having that embraces the idea that we need to welcome the voice uh, of children and that goes definitely also when when children are finding themselves uh, in a refugee camp uh, as you many m- mentioned um, um, again, how do we make children um, in those very difficult environments how we make them part of the solution how do we bring that their energy how do we bring their initiative to the fore and and make children feel much better mm. feeling engaged mm. but at the same time come to uh, solutions that would benefit uh, everybody living in the camp
0: when you have the breakdown of a country, when you have the government falling apart, uh, security issue, war, uh, often you have generations that are lost without education, without uh, any sort of normality to their day-to-day lives. In the case in the Middle East, extremism and extremist groups like we saw in ISIS in Syria and Iraq fill that void with promises of providing children with a guiding path, uh, some sort of reason to belong, some sort of uh, calling. How impactful is that? And how do we address that particular issue?
1: Well, extremism um, is part of human reality. It has been part of every single society. Uh, um, What we see today is, is that it is um, even more extreme than it has ever been before, it, it, we are much more exposed to extremism. It is not necessarily only happening somewhere in a faraway uh, corner. Um, you know, we are all uh, at times confronted, even very directly, with with the impact of in, uh, of, of extremism. The best antidote for me to extremism is to continue investing in children uh, to continue investing in children um, um, and and particularly in children's education. Through education, help children become the citizens we all want to be. um, Help through education uh, get across the values we all stand for, and when when I say we all stand for values that are not only enshrined in big international declarations or in international human rights conventions, but values that are also deeply rooted in, for example, any of our religions. Um, so how do we invest in education to get these values across? Um, how do we give, through education, um, children indeed that sense of belonging that is very human, that every father, every mother wants to, to achieve for their children? It is helping, the fighting extremism is probably best done by investing such that the alternatives are so much more attractive than being attracted to extremist uh, thoughts, and and in that, um, as long as we see extremism attracting children and young people, as long as we see extremism attracting people in general, it means we continue failing as a society in offering the right alternatives. So, um, again, I am extremely hopeful in the fight against extremism. Um, It is again coming back to your first question, what can be solved overnight? Even the fight against extremism can be um, settled overnight if we make the right investments. And the right investments very often start with children and education of children. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for giving this attention.
0: Thanks to Khirt Kaplare, Regional Director of UNICEF for his time. Also thanks to Kevin Jeffers for producing. Read more of the nationals covered of World Children's Day on our website, thenational.ae. Subscribe to Beyond the Headlines on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. I've been your host, Nasr al Thanks for listening.